McShane Bible Study Day 222, and I'm only going to do one day today. Uh, we're pressed for time. And fortunately, the book of Ruth ends today. They McShane uh, compiled Ruth 3 and 4 both together. So I also noticed we're going to end Acts. It's a good breaking point. Uh, just a note, um, there's probably going to be a gap. Unless, unless we can... Uh, together as a family and do something unusual and do do like road trip <laughs> Bible study recordings. Um, if, if I do that, then there might be one like the very next day after this one posts. But if not, we might go close to a week between uh, postings. So Ruth is now getting counsel from her mother on how to approach Boaz, right? So we talked about, um, I, you know, mother-in-law Naomi um, she, she being like the Holy Spirit, like grabbing, you know, before we come to the Lord, the Holy Spirit has to talk to us and teach us like, yes, this is something you want to do. And after we receive the Lord, he continues to counsel us and give us the Lord's wisdom so that we continue to grow in that. Right. And you see Naomi taking that role, telling her how to approach Boaz. And then verse four, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. So a couple things struck me in this reading that I'd never thought of before. So when he lies down, it's kind of like in Jesus's death, we have to approach Jesus in the point of his death and sacrifice for us, right? Mm -hmm. And then of course he rises up and he takes care of her. And so just as Jesus rises up and gives us new life, but we have to approach him in his death. So it's interesting that she approaches him in his lying down since he represents Jesus in the story. 12. And again, God is so amazing. I'm, it's a story for us. But these are real people, you know? Isn't that amazing how God can use real life people to teach us stories that have to do with bigger things thousands of years later? It's amazing. In verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. So she's approached him and said, redeem me. You're, you're the redeemer. He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. You know who the redeemer nearer is? Mm -mm. It's the father. Father created us, right? And so we are supposed to be his sons. And so we shouldn't need Jesus if we hadn't gone away from God, right? Um, so he says, I'm going to approach the Father. And then chapter 4, he goes to the gates. They used to, at all the, you know, in those days, big, big... Uh, Important men would sit around at the gates and important things would be discussed there. And so he goes, and of course, the the redeemer that's closest to Naomi's family, um, or her son, her husband's family, is very vague here, right? We never get his name. <laughs> he, you know, it, it's like the father, right? It's all the, the pictures of the father that we get in scripture. It's, it's always a little bit vague. And uh, so Boaz approaches him and says... Look, there's this person to be redeemed. Will you? Well, first he says there's land to be redeemed from a family member of ours that's closest to you. 
will you redeem it? He says, I will. He says, but then you'll also need to marry this woman. He says, I can't do that. It will spoil my inheritance. Hmm. Are you saying hmm because you don't remember he said that or because you don't know what it means? I don't know what it means. Okay. So, I actually don't know what he meant specifically. I, I, I think what he's saying is, if that became... So, now I'm talking about in the flesh. I'm not talking about spiritual meaning. I'm talking about what the people meant at the time. Um, I think he's saying, well, if I have kids with her and, and they inherit uh, my uh, their, their stuff and my stuff, maybe he didn't have any other kids, then my also my inheritance is under another name not under my name wow that's actually amazing so that's exactly what it means spiritually too he says if i accept this family of adam into my into my promised land into my kingdom then they're actually they serve satan and therefore they have chosen to serve him and not me it will spoil my inheritance I will have a corrupt kingdom, a perverse kingdom that does not represent me. And therefore, I cannot take mankind into my family because they're so far apart from me. Right? Mm -hmm. And so then Boaz says, well, then I will redeem her and I will marry her. Right? And so we know Jesus is our redeemer. He's the one that lived a perfect life. And God grants us access to him because the sacrifice of Jesus allows us into the family, right? And so Ruth, she's not currently really a part of their family, but she becomes a part of their family because she marries Boaz, right? Mm -hmm. In the natural and then in the spiritual, same with us. We become a part of God's spiritual family through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, so we see that, that picture here. Verse 6 says, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Have I answered your question about what the redemption means or not well enough? Okay, state the question again so I can... Oh, okay, I think, let me say this. So, the what the Law of Moses stated is, if... Um, a man dies and he left, let, let's say we lived in that time you know, under the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. And let's say you, you know, some years down the road, you got married, but you hadn't had a kid yet and you died under the law of Moses. If Callum was old enough, he would be expected to marry your wife. In, the, in those days, they might have several wives, right? Um, if he wasn't old enough, she would wait until Callum was old enough, and then he would marry um, your wife, and then he would, they would have a son, and the son would be named after you, and would carry on your name, so that your name is not blotted out, right? Because mm -hmm. if you died without a son, then your name is blotted out, you know, just, your line doesn't exist anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so, they were very concerned about these things in those days, and that was the law. And so this is what's happening. These men, if you remember from yesterday, they all died. They didn't leave any sons. Mm -hmm. And so by marrying uh, Ruth and giving her a son, he gave a son to um, carry on this, this lineage from there. Although, as we see, 
really it's his lineage that gets <laughs> that gets uh, carried on but he would have gotten their inheritance with whatever the land that was mentioned right does that make sense mm-hmm. okay um and then 13 so boaz took ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the lord gave her conception and she bore a son well what's the purpose the purpose of this church if we look at uh revelation 12 to bear many sons, right? That the sons of God will come out. And um, and then we, we, we know from, uh, I forget which chapter, 63, one of the last five chapters of Isaiah, uh, the son will marry the, the bride, and I don't want to get into all that. But so we see a picture of all of this here, and then the, the book ends with the genealogy of David. Because uh, so the son they had ended up being the grandfather of David right mm-hmm. and then we're finishing acts also i didn't have a whole lot to say on uh i told you about my fascination with malta but that's maybe not so interesting it, you know they think paul gets bit by a viper and so they think he's gonna die but he shakes it off and then they, th- they think he's a god they can't can't figure out what to make and you know jesus there's weirdos that go around um i don't mean to offend anyone who might be one of these people but they're a very small group of people who, because Jesus said uh, in one of the ends of one of the Gospels that you can be bit by snakes and not die, they decide to put God to the test on that, and they're constantly playing with poisonous snakes. That's absurd. There's lots of things that if God, if we're in the position and we trust God, he will take care of us no matter what, like he did here, Paul. That doesn't mean Paul goes around trying to find poisonous snakes to pick up hoping they will bite him so he can prove to everybody that he won't die. Right? Do you see the difference? Mm-hmm. One is obeying God and something happening to you, the enemy trying to attack you, and God saying, no, it's not time for him to die. The other is, I'm going to go outside God's will and see if God really will save me when I'm living outside his will. Right? Um, and uh, so then the main guy... Um, honors them by having him as a guest for three days, finds out his dad's sick, he heals him, then the whole island wants to be healed, and he's very much honored on the trip. The centurion that's in charge of this boat has to be just blown away by all this. But then he's taken uh, to Rome, he's in jail, and what does he do? Same thing he always does, right? He calls all the Jews to him, starts uh, teaching about the kingdom and Jesus, and, uh, and then... You know, as usual, some hear the message, some turn away, um, and those that turn away hate him, right? They're, they're against him. And he says, uh, you know, he quotes Isaiah again. Isaiah's quoted many times in this that people have eyes, but they can't hear. They have ears, but, uh, sorry, eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. If you would simply turn to me, you would have understanding. It's always true. And so, this probably wasn't his last time in jail in Rome because the way Luke ends this in verse 30 he says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he didn't say he lives there and it's been two years. He said lived there. So most people kind of agree that he got out of jail, then continued doing what he does, and then got arrested again, because we do know he died in Rome. Some people think he made it to Spain, or 
is a crazy theory that he made it to England. <laughs> um, I have no idea what he did, but it seems he got out of jail this time and then was arrested again, but we don't, you know, max end, so we don't know for sure what he did there. I, I'm not sure what all's in the histories of the church fathers that came afterwards. And then we're in Jeremiah chapter 38, and this is the one where he's he's in the jail at the beginning, you know, like in the middle of the court. And so he's preaching to the people. If you go out to the Chaldeans, you will live. But if you stay here, you will die excruciating death. And that's a, that's a word for the people of God today. Hard word. It was hard for them. It's a hard word. But he goes on, and the people hearing him say that, go to the king and say he... he's going to make our warriors afraid to fight. You've got to stop him. Let's kill him. So the king says, okay. He throws him in the pit. And then the Ethiopian comes to him and says, he's going to die down there. We've got to let him out. And he says, okay, uh, let's let him out. What was your question? Why does he change his mind? He's double-minded. We saw this with, um, (coughs) is it Herod that uh, was... They ended up killing John the Baptist, but didn't want to. It's a similar position. In both cases, they're a king that knows this man is a holy prophet from God. There's no way he'd be doing this stuff if he wasn't. I probably should be listening to him. But I have all this power and prestige and wealth. And I like my position. And I don't want to lose my position. So I kind of know I should be doing what he says, but I'm going to do my own thing instead. I'm going to go my own way. It's very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through a needle, right? These guys know that this guy is speaking the truth, but but they like their life in the world too much to accept it. To follow it, right? They know it's true, but they won't follow it. And so he, they, they let him out. And then the king, you can tell that the king really wants to hear from him because he pulls him aside privately and says, give me a word from the Lord. Jeremiah's scared. You're going to kill me. You're hand me over to people who will kill me. He promises him he won't. And he tells him the same word he's been telling him for years. But the king won't listen, right? And Jeremiah's in jail until the city is totally overrun. Breaking the dead boy part. Ah, yeah, that's only in Luke, it's not in the others. And we're finishing in Luke 7, and we, we see Jesus heal the centurion's servant who comes from far away, and Jesus is amazed by his faith. And then he raises a boy in a coffin as he passes a funeral procession. And then uh, some John the Baptist's servants come to him because John expects him to be something he's not. Verse 23 says, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He said, just as we talked about earlier, you, know, you have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. God moves in ways that are outside of our expectations. Are we open and willing and hungry to see what God's doing? Or do we want to put him in a box that we've created through religion, and we are only willing to accept him if he comes in a nice shiny box that we've created. Which do you think God is willing to do? Submit himself to our ways? Or 
happily take in those who are willing to submit themselves to his ways. He says, blessed are you if you're not offended with me. 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So again, he's saying, John wasn't what you expected. If you were to expect a great prophet, the greatest prophet to come, you you probably didn't see what you expected. But that's how God works. His ways are higher than ours. 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John is saved, right? He believed Jesus was Messiah. He's saved hmm. into eternal life with God. But Jesus said, he one who enters the kingdom, who enters this reality that he came to usher in, even the smallest one who enters the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was the greatest priest of all, the greatest prophet of all, excuse me. He was a priest too. So greater than Isaiah, greater than, greater than David, greater than, you know, Samson, who are the greatest priests, Elijah. Sorry, I keep saying priest instead of prophet. He says, John was greater than these. Mm-hmm. You know, we know Moses and Elijah are in heaven, right? Because Jesus went up to the mountain and saw him. Mm-hmm. should be no confusion about that. But he said, God didn't come to grant people eternal life after we died. He came to institute a kingdom, to have many sons of God on earth in an everlasting kingdom. And so he says, the one who actually follows me into this way is greater than all these great men of God. You see that? Uh, verse 32, they are like children sitting, you know, 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. They're saying these children wanting others, adults or whoever, to do what they think they're going to do, what they would like them to do. He says that's how we approach God in the flesh. We expect him to be God on our terms. Jesus says that's not how it works. You approach God humbly, submitting yourself, happy to live with him on his terms. But the flesh wants its own way, right? 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. One problem that is difficult, for one, as anyone grows in the Lord, it it will try to creep in, but also for one raised in uh, in a very religious home to start to think, well, I'm really good. I don't do any of these major sins. I, I've met people like this that have repented from it. They said, well, I didn't do all the big sins a lot of people were doing. And, but then I, uh, I remember I knew a man years ago, and he, he heard a teaching on the, the prodigal son, but the focus was on the firstborn son who did everything right, but was bitter and upset and full of pride when his brother came back and that really struck him and um, came to humble him a lot. Um, it, it, we have to always watch for pride and always realize that there's so much further for us to go with the Lord. And if we start to see just because we've advanced in some area above some others, 
if we start to look down at them because we've advanced in an area where they haven't, our focus is totally screwed up and we stop growing, right? So it becomes a huge stumbling block for us versus realizing, for one, I was there too. And secondly, I have so much further to go, right? If anything, if I'm, if I'm looking down at someone, it's to help raise them up, right? Or to be full of, there's an old saying, there but for the grace of God go I. In other words, I could be him if God hadn't given me the grace and the mercy to raise me up out of my fallen condition. And woe is me that I have so much further to go, but God is good. He is working. He is raising me up. And so thank you, Lord. Raise me up. And Lord, help me to help others to be raised up. All right? You have anything else? No. God bless you. God bless you.